There is nothing new in the world except the history you do not know. Welcome to the Sales History Podcast. I'm your host, narrator, nerd, Todd Capone. A few months ago, an entrepreneur and sales guru you may be familiar with, his name is Ben Tenpass, asked, where do quotas come from? And my answer was, gosh, I don't know, I, but I want to know. So it got me digging into my old books and magazines. I searched through indexes just for the word. And I, I did find the term quota used a number of times. The first time I found it was in literature around the company NCR in 1904. So National Cash Register Company, John Patterson, NCR, that they actually mailed a daily newsletter to their thousand salespeople. Yes, mailed and yes, daily. And it was called the NCR quota number. But again, what did it mean? Like, where did it come from? Why did quotas become a thing? And I think I figured it out. So with today's episode, I want to talk about this idea, not only of quotas, but of sales compensation. Because quotas weren't used like they are today where we use that word for what our targets or goals. But at the time, a quota was a quota. It has everything to do with compensation plans, how reps of 100 years ago were paid. I wonder if their thinking back then was actually better than it is today. So let's dig in. Early 20th century sales compensation and quotas. Are salespeople coin-operated? If you asked me this today, I'd say, yes, if you're doing it wrong. I mean, compensation is an extrinsic motivator. If I ask you to go dig some holes in a field, you likely wouldn't do them unless there was some sort of tangible payoff. Unless for some reason you just like digging holes. That's extrinsic, right? An extrinsic motivator is needing something from the outside to motivate you to do something that maybe you wouldn't normally do. In today's world, compensation should be the reward for doing work you are intrinsically motivated to do, not the reason you do the work. So create an environment, culture, where people love what they do, who they do it with and who they do it for, and then reward them. That's ideal. And that's our brains. That's how we're wired. Why should it have been any different back then? Well, turns out it was. Extrinsic motivation, so the money and the tangible rewards, had a different role back then, and here's why. I want you to imagine the year is 1911, so 110 years ago. You are a sales leader. You have a team selling your goods you know, across the state, maybe across even the country. Those reps, they're not in the office in the morning. There's no telephone prospecting or appointment setting or emailing. Your reps are out in the field selling business to business, door to door, town to town. And they're not taking a day trip to New York like they would today. Like, hey, I'll be back in the office tomorrow. Like they're taking trains to different cities slowly. They, they may even live there. So with that in mind, you got a bunch of reps that are never around. And how would you manage them? How would you coach them? How would you even communicate with them? There's no CRM system, there's no email, there's no mobile phones, there's no Slack. And how do you create a culture where intrinsic inspiration thrives? 
1911. Culture? Like, seriously? There is no company culture. That term company culture, you won't find anywhere. Because intrinsic inspiration came from, from yourself and it likely centered around money. As a company and sales leader, you had to trust those who are representing your products to represent you well. So compensation plans, while similar in thought, meaning the more you sold, the more you made, played a different role back then than they do today. So think about that for a moment. Imagine paying a salary to a sales representative in today's dollars, but not having any idea for days what the salespeople you're paying are up to. You're investing all that money with no visibility. Need to get a message out to the team? Well, you're probably sending telegrams. Oh, well, you better send a telegram. It was like sending an email or a text. It just took longer. You know, it's a series of beeps coding across large wires and spaces converted to typewritten word. It's how you communicated across distances. And it was used a lot. As a matter of fact, while it wasn't cheap to send a telegram, in, in 1929, there were 212 million telegrams sent in the U.S. So with that, like, how did you coach your team? It's probably inspiring letters and telegrams. Uh, and as a rep, you were sending your metrics and data and stuff back. Uh, but I mean, it's actual letters and telegrams. And the question that we're all trying to face here is how did you motivate? And it was primarily had to be money. I mean, yes, they tried other things. As a matter of fact, I'll discuss one of the sales contests I found from the early 1900s a little on, a little later on. But this lens, remote reps, very little oversight, very little visibility, very little interaction, and a booming economy had everything to do with how reps were paid. And like I said, we'll come back around to quotas too. So let's talk about comp first. Today, I bet most of you are in sales roles today that are paid salary plus commission and bonus, right? The salary may represent anywhere from 40 to 60% of your on-target earnings. You make commissions or percentage of what you sell with bonuses based on different maybe deal configurations or intricacies within the deal like term lengths or payment terms or product mixes and bonus and accelerators for hitting targets or performing over and above those targets. Back then, it wasn't so common, that style, right? As a matter of fact, and this may come as a surprise, the commission-only plan was not only the most common, it was also the most preferred by corporations and their reps. Allow me to explain why. And we'll do this by looking at essentially the three primary compensation approaches. So the first one, straight salary. So the opposite of commission only. The second, salary plus commission and bonus, which sounds like today, but 100 years ago, it was not. And the third is commission only. Like I said, was most preferred by corporations and their reps 100 years ago. So number one, the straight salary plan. So there were companies back then that were paid this way. Uh, the reps are paid a salary and that's it. It doesn't matter if they sold a lot or a little. Well, actually, it did a bit as the salary is adjusted at certain periods based on overall performance, which is things like sales, helping out customers, doing some promotional work and goodwill. Quote, acting as a real ambassador and missionary for the house. And low performers were simply fired. So 
some companies liked this model for those reasons and also appreciated it because they felt like it was easy to predict and easy to administer. However, there was a perception of significant downside. First, with limited visibility into activity, it was perceived that this model severely limited the initiative of reps in the field. It was thought that the sellers in this model may be more likely to just do enough to justify their salary with a slight increase year over year. Second, the top performing reps liked it when they were doing just average. But when they were killing it, they hated it. All right, listen to that one again. If you're doing just average, you really liked it. But if you were doing really well, you probably hated it because they would ask themselves, why are I making the same amount as the rep who sold considerably less? Why, they asked, were they essentially paying for the middle and lower performers, right? Those top performers felt like their efforts were paying for those other people. And lastly, leaders in the end complained that it wasn't easier to administer this salary-only env environment because they had no way to make adjustments in reasonable timeframes and keep them fair. And it seemed to reward average performers, like I said, better than top performers. And those top performers with confidence in hand would leave. So for the most part, salary only went out the window. So the alternative is to look at it 180 degrees from there, which is the straight commission plan. But Todd, you may ask, why not the salary plus commission plan? Well, the salary plus commission plan of yesterday isn't what you think. How we think about it today wasn't a thing back then. So let's talk about those configurations. Number two, the straight commission plan. And number three, the salary plus commission and bonus plan. Because essentially they were the same thing. And like I said, it leads us to the discussion about what quotas were. And here's what I mean. While it may sound insane to take a job with a straight commission plan, meaning you only get paid for what you sell. However, it was very common and very popular at the time. Now, why? Well, remember the environment. There's very little oversight. There's very little communication. There's very little opportunity to coach and motivate. It had to be extrinsic. It had to be money. And there was a, also a prevailing thought that came from a prominent publisher uh, up until World War I, a guy named Walter Heinz Page, who was quoted as saying, the man who is afraid to gamble on himself is not worth a damn. Like, all right, take that. So salespeople loved it though, too, that, that they were purely independent and got paid for what they sold. You know, commission percentages, I, I don't know what commission percentage you make now, but back then you're talking in a, a commission-only environment, you're making 33 to 40% in most cases. And so there was no lack of motivation there. And then given that there was no 401k or savings plans, the priority wasn't to just pay for today's bills. It was often to maintain a standard of living plus saving against, quote, old age or disability. The, the opportunity was real in sales in a commission-only role. Now, the downside to salespeople were the economic downturns, right? At, at the time, there weren't many of those, though. Uh, in the you know, there was World War One. then for a short period in the early 20s, 1920s, and then a very short recession in 1926. Uh, you know, aside from the depression in 1929, I'm talking about that period from the 1900s through that depression, the periods were booming. I mean, overall, the, 
1920s was a decade when America's economy grew 42%. Mass production spread new customer goods into every household and required salespeople to do it. The modern auto and airline industries were born. The U.S. victory in World War I gave the country its first experience of being a global power. Soldiers returning home from Europe brought with them a new perspective and energy and skills, and everyone became an investor thanks to easy-to-access credit. The United States at the time was producing almost half the world's output because World War I, frankly, destroyed most of Europe. So if you were in sales, selling something worth buying, commission only was the way. Now, managers, some managers didn't love it because they didn't have control. Salespeople wouldn't sell for the long term. They'd sell for the short. Uh, They wouldn't really help out the customer. They wouldn't promote. They wouldn't help set up whatever the customer bought. Uh, They were essentially sell and go. But both of those issues were addressable. First of all, during downturns, smart companies actually increased commission rates that not only kept their top performers, but they gave them a little extra incentive. Now, while the margins might be reduced, low turnover and maintained revenue beat the companies who didn't do the same. And managers actually did have control. Some of the contests I've seen run over a telegraph and mail were pretty impressive. I I found in an issue of System Magazine in 1922, a sales contest run within a company called the Union Trust Company called the World Series. And if if you follow me at Sales Historian, so one word, on either Instagram or Twitter, look at the Monday, August 16th post, which is a day before this podcast is coming out. You'll see a picture of the board. They, They had sellers broken into teams with elaborate rules and scoring based on new accounts and quota, et cetera. The the one program though was or the one problem was that leaders recognized that their first task was to identify the standard of living required for each individual salesperson. A salesperson may take a job under their standard of living, but they're not going to be satisfied, patient, or efficient. Those three things are required to be successful. This led to their version of the salary plus commission environment that I promised I would tell you about. In this environment, salary was simply another term for what we would call today a recoverable draw, meaning a rep is paid a salary and their commissions are paid up against it. Then benefits once those commissions exceed the salaried amount. With the salary plus commission plan, the early 1900s version, that there was a requirement for something called a quota. As mentioned at the beginning, the first mentions of the concept of quota were found specifically in my research around John Patterson and NCR, which is still to come in future episodes, but quota today versus what a quota was back then Quota and quota achievement was solely about bringing in enough revenue to pay for yourself, your salary, your expenses associated with you being in the employee of the company, maybe even the opportunity cost against having someone else in the territory. I mean, there were some companies that did things a little bit differently, but this is a number, how much it cost the company to have you there. That became your quota. So from a compensation perspective, if you're on salary plus commission, it worked like this. Your your salary was your pay until you reached your quota. In other words, until you paid for yourself. Once you exceeded your quota, commissions are paid. 
In other words, you bring in enough to pay for yourself plus the comfort of having you in the territory versus another. You possibly received a separate target where oftentimes bonuses and accelerators may be provided for achieving it. However, quota back then, well, it was pretty black and white. If you're not a profitable asset to the company, you were likely gone. But again, think about what quota meant back then. It was to pay for yourself. Certainly, there are many iterations on this, including adding an additional bonus component designed for special accomplishments. It could be based on profits. It could be based on the ease to ship. Uh, Were sales near a manufacturing facility, uh, those might pay better than those in the suburbs. Could be based on having a goal or a target. In other words, maybe you had a quota, a fixed minimum by whereby you have been paid. All right? So today, we've somehow blended and confused the terms quota and the term target or goal. Should we be thinking about that differently? I mean, part of me thinks yes. A quota makes sense, right? As a salesperson, you should at least be bringing in enough revenue to pay for yourself and the costs that go along with you in the role, right? I mean, there's a Panera Bread that just closed near my house because it wasn't profitable. The quota as a number that defines you as a profitable asset as a salesperson where almost everyone should hit it and hopefully crush it would feel more reasonable, right? And then companies could have a target or a goal, which as we know, having smart goals, smart meaning specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and tangible has a market impact on performance. Maybe not everyone hits that as I keep seeing stats that only 40 to 50 percent of sellers are making today's form of quota. The wording is wrong, right? What do you think? Quotas being the minimum number that it takes to pay for yourself as a resource in an organization and make you a profitable investment for the company, and then maybe having a separate target where quota, yeah, you got to hit your quota to stay there. And target is, hey, here's the opportunity for you to set a smart goal, something that you can attain and something that gives you the opportunity to even hit accelerators if you overattain it, that may make sense. And I'm wondering whether or not we should be thinking about exploring that concept a little bit further. So as always, thank you for letting me talk about this. I I love this topic. And uh, Ben, thanks for uh, suggesting it. I I love doing the research on it. And uh, I hope that you learned something today and maybe It gives you a different perspective on how we should be thinking about quotas versus targets or goals. As always, rate and review where you listen. And I'm always up for feedback on not only what you like and don't like, but if you've got other things that you want me to dig into, I I love the nerdery around it. So thanks again. Thanks again.